Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rabina podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. We pray that this message is a blessing. Friends, I'm so excited that you could join us today. Uh, we have a special guest with us, Pastor John Tyson. And John comes all the way from New York, Hell's Kitchen. It's where he lives. He's been there for 18 years with his wife, Christy. And they planted a church 18 years ago there, which is now called Church of the City, New York. It's a great church um, and one that has blessed my wife, Sarah, and I, and I know many of you in their teaching, their resource, and just their witness as well. So friends, without any further ado, would you welcome warmly Pastor John Tyson. Well, it is wonderful to be with you this morning. Beautiful spirit here. Love what God is doing and uh, a real honour to uh, share God's Word with you. Uh, I became a Christian uh, the weekend I turned 17. Didn't plan to be a Christian. Wasn't on my uh, top 10 list of things to do going through life. Sort of got swept into it. A really remarkable uh, youth ministry, people seeking God. Came into the church and uh, it was a, a bit of a Pentecostal church, if you know what I mean. Uh, lots of uh, manifestations and lots of power. It really changed my life. I'd heard about God. I obviously knew about Jesus, but really encountering the presence of God, it, it really changed me forever. Um, most people you know this. As you go through your life, you go through different stages of faith. You can't just uh, live on pure milk forever and you want to sort of go on with your journey and God takes each of us on a different path. And I sort of felt like it was time for me to move to the next season of my faith. And things were getting a bit controversial as well. Uh, there was quite a bit of hostility and I thought, you know what, this has been amazing. I think I'm going to go on to the next stage of my faith. And as I was getting ready to leave, I sat down with one of the youth leaders just to say, hey, thanks so much. I'm really grateful for all God's done in my life in this time, but I think I'm going to you know, pop on to the next thing. And it's a conversation that did not go well and did not go how I had planned. And in this conversation, the youth leader said to me, if you leave this church, the hand of God will leave your life. And if you leave this church, you will not prosper. You won't amount to anything. And I remember this phrase, if you leave this church, your life will wither. And I remember those words hitting my heart. I'm still a teenager at this point in a very, very significant way. And I, it's hard to explain it except to say this, like I couldn't shake them. I couldn't just dust them off and say, well, you know, it's probably bit of stress or what I just I couldn't shake them and somehow they seeped into my heart and they stayed with me and it was many many years later while sitting with uh, and processing some of my story that someone gave me language for what I'd experienced and they said this what was spoken over you mate was a curse a curse we don't talk about curse as much in our world anymore do we so I said like Harry Potter Lord of the Rings you know there's like a bit of that stuff spells and curses and that sort of a thing but I've really come to see that there are two primary forces that drive most people's lives but we rarely understand them or rarely give honor to them and these are the concepts of blessing and cursing 
And that's what I want to unpack with you today about the importance of bringing blessing in a cursed world. So what I want to do, is it's quite simple today. I want to talk about what the biblical concept of blessing is and how the, the curse screws that up. I want to talk about why we need blessing and you can't live without it. And then my goal today is that you would leave full of faith and vision to be a source of blessing everywhere you go. So are you with me? You ready to go? Okay, number one, what is the biblical concept of blessing? The primary Old Testament word for blessing comes from the Hebrew word barak. And it has the idea of kneeling and extending favour. And it's the idea of putting into the life of somebody else something that is good. It is speaking the intentions of God towards somebody in their life. In the New Testament, the idea of blessing comes from the word makairos, where we get the word happiness, and uh, the word eulogia, where we get the term eulogy. And if you've ever been to a funeral, when people get up at the funeral and they want to remember and recognise the value that person brought to someone's life, well, that's a eulogy. And so a blessing is seeing and remembering and declaring the goodness of what you have over the life of somebody else. Dallas Willett puts it this way. He says this, blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. So when someone's going to bless you, they're gonna, they are going to see you and they are going to project into you the goodness of God. So why do we need blessing? Is it optional? Is it like, ah, not too blessed, but no worries? Why do we need blessing? We need blessing because we were, there's something about a human being made in the image of God that knows we cannot function well without blessing. You were created to live a life from blessing. Genesis 1 says, God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And it says this, and God blessed them. And said to them, be fruitful, be multiply and increase. So it's important to see that the human being was designed to live from blessing, not for blessing. God didn't say to Adam and Eve, okay, uh, if you do everything I say and you're absolutely perfect, then I'm going to trust you with the world. He just created him and said, the world is yours. Now steward my blessing properly. Now, this may be a little too technical at this point. So let me try and illustrate this in a way I think you'll understand. Um, my, my son's 23 great young man named Nathan. And uh, Nathan has fallen in love with a woman from Brazil. And uh, it is getting very, very serious. And uh, so Nate, Nate said, Dad, I think this is the one. I'm like, oh, great. Uh, I said, are you ready? He said, ready for what? I said, well, you've got to go and uh, talk to her father. Might be a bit old fashioned, mate, but so are we. And off you go. You've got to go and ask for his blessing." In Portuguese, because they're from Brazil. And uh, don't think you're going to rock up with a translation app and say, uh, and hand a phone. And I said, you need to, you need to get ready. And so uh, my son, you know, every day we just sort of chat, you know, how's it going? You're practicing and all the rest of it. And, and uh, so this, this happened just before I came here. Okay. And so they flew into town and uh, takes, takes him out for lunch. And says in Portuguese this phrase, which was some uh, combination of, your daughter's the most amazing woman I've ever met. I promise to care for her heart. I will provide for her. You've got nothing to worry about. Trust me with the most precious thing that you've got in your life. 
And like all good men who know the rules of fatherhood, Nate asks him, and then there's a pause. Mm. That pause. Now, in that pause, there are the seeds of two different lives. Now, imagine he says this. Yes, come on in, man. We're so glad to have you. We've always wanted to have an Australian, American, and a Brazilian family. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what would happen then at the wedding when Nate uh, is standing at the altar and he's walking down the aisle? He'd be looking at Nate, probably in tears, and just saying, "I want this to happen. I trust you. Here's my daughter." And at Christmas time, there'd be joy when they come over. Oh yes, these are our family. When they have kids, the kids will be born into a home where people would say, we're so glad you're here. Come on in. Now imagine in that pause, the other life. And that other life says this. We don't want an international marriage. We don't, we don't bless this union. Now, I've just got to tell you, these kids are so in love. That marriage is happening, okay? One way, shape or another. But can you imagine what it would be on the wedding day with the fathers walking down the aisle? that strain, the family dynamics. Can you imagine Christmas time or coming over for an Easter lunch and all they're thinking is they don't want us here and they don't approve of this. Can you imagine the strain over every moment of your life? You'd have to work so hard to fill that blessing deficit up. Well, that's, that's the thing. We need blessing. We need the yes of God over our lives everywhere we go. We can't live without it. And this brings us to one of the best things, I think the clearest explanations that Christians bring to the culture that we live in, which is what's gone wrong with our world? Why isn't there blessing? Why aren't things going the way that they should go? And it's simple, it's because human beings chose to rebel against God and say, I think we can get blessing on our own. And this is what theologians sometimes call the fall that others call the curse. Here's my definition of the curse. It is rejecting and resisting God's intentions, resulting in His disfavor and displeasure and our dysfunction and destruction. So now God's created the human race with a vision of blessing, but now there's two forces. There's the curse, which is that which is living in rebellion and dysfunction against the way that God wants it to be. And this then begins to work its way into the human story. And you've probably felt this. It's worked its way into your story. So how does the curse manifest itself and rob us of blessing? The first thing we see is that it messes up a man's sense of work in the world. It's women too, but it says, cursed is the ground because of you. Scholars tell us that this idea is not that work itself is cursed, but we have a dysfunctional, broken relationship with work. We tend to derive our sense of worth from what we accomplish, and it creates dysfunction and disillusionment. For the women, it says, you have great pains in childbearing. It'll be very severe. And then Satan is cursed as a result of this. And this just bleeds itself out into the human story. Instead of doing everything from blessing. Now we wrestle with the curse and all we do. And it just begins to bleed through the pages of our lives. How does it show up? How does it affect us? One way is it affects us through the curse of generational sin. That's not, we don't use the word sin that often, do we? You know what generational sin is. 
Generational sin is that sense that the decisions that one generation makes impact and shape the destiny of the next generation. Genesis 12, Abram lies about his wife Sarah to protect himself. Genesis 28, his son Isaac lies about his wife Rebecca to protect himself. This, this just bleeds its way down through the generations. Generational sin. When I first moved to the US, I was 20. I was going to Bible college. I was super excited. I'm up in the mountains of North Georgia, okay? Deep southern town. And uh, I'm doing a tour of the campus. <laughs> Classes haven't even started yet. I'm doing a tour of a campus. And there is this wonderful girl who's a part of my uh, orientation group. And I did remember just having a quick thought like, wow, it's going to be harder to concentrate on my studies than initially anticipated moving to Bible college in America. So I have a conversation with her. And then about 10 days later, I call my mom and I'm like, mom, She's like, what's up? How's it going? I said, it's going great. I just want you to know I've met the girl I'm going to marry. And uh, she's like, give it a bit of time, mate. You've just got, I was like, nah, 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 it's on. And uh, it's hard to sort of explain what I was feeling at the time. But later I learned that when you fall in love with someone, your body produces chemicals that literally like it's an addiction to that person. And they tell us it's as strong as heroin. And uh, if, you've, if you've ever seen someone go out with someone that you didn't approve of and you've tried to talk sense into them, but it just doesn't work, it doesn't work because there's a profound connection that's happening there. And uh, so my wife and I get married. We do two premarital counseling sessions, okay? Session number one, like you do all your family maps and all that stuff. Session number one, uh, the guy says to us, hey, you know you're from really jacked up families. We're like, yeah, but we're in love. We're in love. And then we have a half session with him. He says, I just want to make sure that you're aware of the dynamics you're bringing. And we were so filled with emotion and passion and joy. It just didn't bother us. And they also tell us that when you get married, or after you get married, the chemicals wear off that emotionally connected you to that person. And you have that wake up moment where you're just like, what have I done? All the things that used to be cute are now annoying. If you, if you, you know, they're so different than me and turns into why aren't you more like me? It's, it's like super rough dynamics. But we realised we had generational sin and curses that under pressure were starting to manifest themselves in our story. This was horrific sexual abuse on both sides of our family. This is multi-generational poverty, both sides of our family. This is people who are imprisoned on both sides of our family. So all of this stuff is coming down. And I remember sitting there trying to figure out what we were doing, particularly when our son came along. It was like, if we don't break this stuff off, this is going to bleed into our kids. Man, we did deliverance. We did bondage breakers. We made making peace with your past. We did like every kind of freedom ministry we could find because we realised that the curse was coming from one generation to another. And if we didn't break it, it would bleed through. What about your family dynamics? Do you feel any of that that has impacted you or shaped you? Second way that this ends up impacting us can be through our own personal sin and rebellion. Sometimes we can say to God, I know you've got blessing, but I want to get it my way. And this can often leave us very, very wounded. It can leave us with the shrapnel of sin in our lives and in our souls. 
In Hebrews 12, it says, See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the older son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought the blessing with tears. He could not change what he had done. And I've had situations in my life where there's just been tears of regret because my sin has brought the dysfunction of the curse into my life. Sometimes the curse works its way into our life through a spirit of rejection. Sometimes dad walks out and it creates a wound in you that says, what was wrong with me that leaves me so unwanted? Sometimes in your, your marriage, someone will cheat on you. Sometimes when you, when you get fired from your job, it can, just, it can rock your sense of self and you get this sense, I'm useless, I'm worthless, I'm unwanted. And this, if we're not careful, will develop within us an orphan spirit. And the orphan spirit inside of a person says, I can't trust anybody. I don't want to unite myself with anybody. I have to hustle and scramble and work and strive to get a blessing myself. And breaking the orphan spirit is one of the primary functions of the gospel. My sister-in-law adopted five kids as a single woman out of the Florida foster care system. And uh, really just a massive heart of love, wanting to, to bring change uh, into these kids' lives. These kids have really come from just excruciating situations. And uh, I was in the courtroom for the adoption of each of these kids. And it's really one of the most extraordinary sort of dynamics you'll ever, ever witness. Here you've got these little kids. Here you've got the authority of the law. And then over here, you've got my sister-in-law. And then the judge says to the kids, do you want a new family? Would you like this woman to become your mother? And it's, I mean, there's a lot of tears in the courtroom. It's a really, really moving dynamic. And the judge just does this, drops the gavel, family court, and says, you are now legally adopted. Everyone claps and cheers. And it's, it's honestly one of the most amazing embodiments of what the gospel is in the spirit of adoption. But you know the great challenge wasn't the legal verdict. It wasn't the intellectual acknowledgement. You know what the greatest challenge has been is dealing with the spirit of rejection in the heart of those kids and giving them the spirit of adoption, helping them realise the truest thing about you is not that you were rejected, but you were chosen and you were wanted. And to get that in them and help them process and grieve through the wounds that they have. And so often, if we're not careful, we know the good news of the gospel. We know Jesus loves us. We know God cares about us, but it's just all intellectual. It hasn't touched our spirit. And we're still living out of an orphan spirit, a spirit of a rejection rather than a spirit of love. And then lastly, sometimes it's, it's curses that are spoken over us by others. It's the power of people's words. You know this, but words can wound, can't they? I got a friend, super successful uh, in the nonprofit world, and um, just actually had a, a kind of meteorotic rise. Just attention, funding, success, helping so many people, really incredible. And then out of nowhere, a spectacular fail. And in trying to sort of process this uh, with her, just said, How did this go wrong? Was it the pressure? Was it the attention? Like what, what sort of made your inner world collapse? And uh, she said this. She said, when I was little, she said, I spent a lot of time processing this, but when I was little, my dad would say to me, 
you are ugly and no man is going to want you. You're ugly. No man is going to want you. And she said, when I started going through high school, I hit puberty, I actually realized that I was actually quite attractive. But in my mind, I just had these words that wounded me. No one's ever going to want you. And she said, in college, I got pretty promiscuous. And I would, every time I'd sleep with a different guy, I would sort of say to my dad, see, you're wrong. Another man wants me. Another man wants me. And the failure was moral in nature along these lines. And she said these words. She said, I guess even after all the success and everything I've accomplished, my dad's voice is just still the loudest voice in my head. It's the loudest voice in your head. I'm, I'm just so amazed when I meet people these days at how people are driven by little phrases that have made their way into their spirits when they were younger. So much of what's happening in the, the levels below the surface of our lives are just dealing with the wounds and curses spoken into us as a result of this. And here's the thing. If you don't have a sense that you're living with the blessing of God over your life, you know what you're going to do? You're going to scheme for blessing because we cannot live without blessing. I think this is part of why... Joseph, uh, Jacob's story is such a, a powerful narrative. Jacob starts his life and uh, it's, it's the, the family dynamics of the patriarchs are kind of amazing, aren't they, when you study them. It's also so encouraging how much dysfunction there is in the Bible. And uh, so Jacob's living his life and he's, he's sort of a mummy's boy. And his brother Esau is sort of the manly man. He's the one that's out in the fields. He's the one doing the manual labour. And here he is inside with his mum. And one day his mum realises, you're never going to get blessed. You're going to have to steal it. And so she makes a deal with him. Put, a, put an animal skin on. This is the first time he wears a costume in his life. This is the entrance of imposter syndrome into his story. Puts the skin on and she says, I'm going to make your dad's favourite stew that your brother makes. And you're going to go in and you're going to get the blessing from your dad. And so while his brother's off hunting, he comes in and his dad's super suspicious. He's getting old. Eyesight's not too good. And uh, you know how the story goes. Says, come a little closer. You smell like one son, but you sound like the other. And then whether it was age or the time of day or whatever, the, the, the meal blesses him. And then immediately he realises this is not an authentic blessing. And so what does he have to do? He has to run. And when he runs, what does he experience? Exactly what he has sown. He has sown dishonesty. He's going to reap it. So he goes along and what ends up happening? Meets a, meets a young woman, wants to marry her. She's got a sister. Uh, this is Rachel and Leah. And um, this, this is what the Scripture says. One of them is lovely in shape and form. The other one has weak eyes. Okay, that's the biblical text right there. And so he works for seven years, excited. Wow, I'm going to get the love of my life. Wakes up, probably has just a touch too much to drink on the wedding night. Wakes up and then all of a sudden Leah's there. And he's like, what's happened? And he goes to his father-in-law Laban. And what does he say? Well, actually, and so he has sown a hustle and now he is reaping it. His father-in-law changes his wages multiple times. And he, he finally gets to the point where his life is externally very, very blessed. He has wives and children and, and, and cattle and an inheritance, but he's got a deficit of blessing in his spirit. And you know that great story where he wrestles with the angel. And what does he say to the angel? 
I will not let you go unless you bless me. This is a man with an imposter blessing who needs a divine one in its place. This is, I think, part of the great challenge of our lives is that we end up just scheming for blessing. We ended up below the surface of our lives with deep, deep wounds that often lead us to believe lies instead of truth, that create idols that we think, if I just get this thing, this will fill the blessing deficit. If I can just get the right person or get the right job or get recognition, it's going to fill the deficit I feel in my spirit from the curse. But it never works. It's actually kind of embarrassing for me to admit how much of my life was defined by those words spoken over me as a teenager. I go to New York. Everything's going great. Start a church. Things are going really well. But people say this to me. They say, John, there's a drive to your leadership. It's not that you're a jerk. It's just there's an aggression to what you do. And I heard this feedback several times. And this ultimately made me go and talk talk to someone to help me process my story. And what I realized through sitting there and prayer and discernment of the Holy Spirit is there was something in me that was saying this, oh, I will show you, I will amount to something. God's hand will be on my life. I will not wither, watch me prosper. Now this was not, I I couldn't have consciously said that, but when I got into the deep attitudes and motives and pain of my heart, there was an aggression that was connected to that. And it caused pain in my life. And I got to a moment where I said, I do not want this to define me in my life. Something's got to be done. And aren't you grateful for the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the power to do that in our lives? Immediately when the curse breaks into the human story, God breaks in with grace. Immediately when dysfunction breaks in, God breaks in with healing. And so we see God's plan to release blessing everywhere He goes. In Genesis 12, when God calls Abram, what does He say to him? He says that all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. God formed a people, not just to have a a weird moral code or a dietary restriction or liturgical worship practices that differentiated them from pagans. He did it because he needed to get a community that broke off the effects of the curse and released blessing everywhere they went. In in Numbers chapter 6, you you guys remember during COVID, everyone was doing their version of the blessing. They're saying, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. Why? We didn't want our, our whole world seemed defined by the effects of the curse. Well, that prayer in number six was originally a prayer that was supposed to be a part of their liturgy and formation. The children of Israel carried that broken mentality of slavery. And even though they got out of Egypt, there was still a lot of Egypt inside of them. And so a part of the liturgy was to bless, to speak life, to let them know that God's face was for them and turned towards them. And ultimately, this works its way into the story of Jesus. Jesus in the great exchange. Galatians 3 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. 
He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Here's what Jesus is doing on the cross, taking the curse and replacing it with blessing so that what was promised to Abraham may come to you and I, that we may have that spirit of adoption. And here's what the gospel says. Our lives then are defined by the fact that we are holy and chosen and dearly loved, that we are wanted by God, that those words and wounds that are spoken over us do not have to define us, that there is a louder, truer, deeper voice that can heal our spirits and give us a different life. Derek Prince puts it like this. Jesus was punished that we might be forgiven. Jesus was wounded that we might be healed. Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness that we may be made righteous with His righteousness. He died our death that we may share His life, became poor with our poverty that we might inherit His riches, bore our shame that we may share His glory, endured our rejection that we might have His acceptance as children of God. Jesus became a curse that we might walk in blessing. What a vision. The cross is not just that God lets you off the sinful things you did. It's that God removes the force of the curse that's wrecking your life and replaces it with the goodness of the gospel. Luke 24 says this, and this is my favourite closing of the gospel now. I used to love Matthew 28, which is that, that missionary passage, go and make disciples. I like this one more. It says, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he ascended into heaven. What a vision. You think about Peter and his denial of Jesus. You think about Thomas with his doubt. You think about the disciples that ran away and Jesus says, that does not define you. The final image I wanna give you before you go into the world is that you are loved and blessed. And it was from that blessing, like in Eden, they distributed the good news of the gospel, not working for blessing. This is an incredible vision of what we are given. I think Jesus' ministry, to be a Christian, is to be in the ministry of blessing other people. The whole ministry of Jesus could be summarised by blessing. Jesus sees somebody who's experiencing the curse of isolation. What does He do? He welcomes them in. Jesus sees someone who is caught in the trap of sin, guilt and shame. What does he say? I don't condemn you. Come on in. Jesus' whole ministry was defined by walking around and replacing whatever the curse had touched with blessing. That's why we sing at the end of the year, joy to the world. You know that beautiful, that's like a banger of a Christmas song, isn't it? But my favourite line says, far as the curse is found. That's how far the blessing of God is being distributed through our lives. So how do we bless people? John Ortberg says this, blessing and cursing are not compartmentalized Bible words at all. They're simply the two ways that we treat people. They're as inseparable as breathing in and breathing out. So how do we learn to move through the world distributing what we've been given in Jesus, which is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ? How do we do it? First way is through our speech. James 3 says this, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Proverbs 12 says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords 
but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You ever been around someone and they just, they're careless with their words and they're like, and you're like, oh, you leave the conversation. You can't stop thinking about it for days. It's just pierced your spirit. You ever been around someone where your heart is heavy and they just, just give you that word of hope. They give you that word of encouragement and you feel like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have another round. I'm going to go another day. Thank you for these words of life. We bless people by what we speak over them. I realised that because of the stuff that was a part of my dysfunction and our family's drama, that I, I was uh, snappy would be a nice way uh, to describe it. But I realised, man, I got angry quickly and I could lash out with my tongue against my family. I remember having to sit my son down and just say to him, I just want to apologise to you. I just, I've said things with a harsh and critical spirit. And I want you to know I don't believe those about you. And I want to ask you to forgive me. And I want to ask if you'll let me bless you. I want to speak some different things over you that I believe to be the truest thing about who you are. It's a very meaningful moment with my son. And then at the end of it, he gave me an awkward sort of dad hug. And uh, then I continued my repentance tour. I had to go sit down with my wife and say, hey, babes, I love you. I'm sorry for the way I've spoken to you out of anger. And my wife is just, honestly, it's the most amazing woman. She's like, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yes. She said, are you preaching a sermon on marriage and you feel guilty? And you like, need to get right before you go up and preach about it? Like, is, is this a sermon illustration? Are we really doing this? And I was like, no, I think we're really doing it. She said, if six months from now you still treat me like this, you will have my full forgiveness. And six months later, she's like, I believe you. You've really changed. That was a hard thing to acknowledge the damage I had done through my words. And then my daughter, who had just, you know, the joy in my heart, still to this day call her Sweet Baby Haley. Uh, she's almost 21, but will always be Sweet Baby Haley. But I was so aware of how sensitive she was. And so I always just try to affirm her and build her up. And I sit her down and said, hey, I need to talk to you. She's like, let me guess. You love me unconditionally. There's nothing I can do to make you love me anymore. Or any less. You're for me. You believe in me. I was like, yes. I was like, okay. One out of three is not bad. I will start there with my family dynamics. Some of my harder ones in my family, man, I had to write an 11-page letter. Really sit down and work that through. Give that to someone in my family. I just want to say this. These, this is, maybe you're here today. And the whole reason you're here today is because God wants to deal with the drama in your home and you need to go make a call today. Maybe, the, maybe I could feel the heaviness in the room. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, gosh, I need to go and I need to speak words of life over someone. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Something's been spoken over you. But if we will not repair the world, if we are careless with our words. Second, to, second thing, we've got to learn to notice people. When you're a little kid, what's the phrase you say the most? Look at me. They say, look at me, Dad, look at me. They're on the swing, swinging back and forth. And you're like, I haven't stopped looking at you your whole life. I'm still looking. This swing and swing, look at me, look at me. There's something in us that needs to be seen and known and valued and recognised for who we are. The world is harsh. Social media is brutal. People are, people are cold. They dismiss us. They characterise us. But to be able to be seen and known and valued and loved, oh, doesn't that release blessing in the world? 
You know how I came to be a preacher? This wasn't a part of my plan either. The human dynamics of how this happened. I was on a youth camp and they were doing testimony time. And testimony time, you know, when the kids come up and they're like, if God's touched your heart, come on forward. And this is the first time in my life I was like, wow, I think I'm meant to share something. And so I come up the front and I just give a two-minute testimony, probably heretical. I can't even remember what I said, but just got up the front to share. And I remember uh, the youth pastor at the end of it just he said, I want to stop for a meeting, stop this meeting. He said, John, I noticed that when you shared, people listen just a little bit differently. And in my experience, that's been one of God's little clues, little indicators that a person may be called to preach the gospel. And so I just want to call the hand of God onto your life. I want, I want you to know and I want you to see that God is going to use you to be a preacher of His Word. And He prayed for me and it unlocked my destiny. I never on my own ever would have thought I should preach God's Word. But somebody noticed in a youth camp and it just makes me think how many times a day are moments of destiny happening all around us. People are waiting to see the call of God on their life released, but we're just too busy or we're overlooking it. But when you see it, and when you notice it, and when you call it out, beautiful things can happen to release people where they are. And then lastly, repairing the damage we've done. This can release so much blessing. Apologising, saying I'm sorry, true repentance, acknowledging what's happening. At pastors' conferences, pastors who don't, don't know each other very well will often say to one another, how did you become a pastor? Being a pastor is, uh, you know, it's not like a well-respected profession in the modern world. You know? So you're kind of like, hey, how did you get into this? And I remember meeting a guy once uh, who said, oh, that's a really interesting story. He said, I grew up in a home where my dad was an angry and bitter man. And he just, he, he hung like a rain cloud. He just had this emotional field of, and it just produced anxiety. Our family was only allowed to be as happy as his mood. It's like he would come home and we could tell by how hard he slammed the door what sort of night we were going to have. And he said he was a builder and um, he had had a hard life, but he's like, there was just, we'd always, we'd never be at peace around him. And he said, one day my father came home and he said, I want to have a family meeting. I was thinking, oh, great. So he gets all of our family down and he says, please take your shoes off. So everyone takes their shoes and socks off and I'm just thinking, this is the weirdest thing. And he brings a tub of water in and he gets on his knees in front of the family and he says to them, for the last few months, I've just been so frustrated with myself and just my inability to change and heal. And I've been going to a Bible study and I've just met Jesus. And Jesus has changed my life. And I want to apologize to you for the kind of man I've been and the kind of father I've been. And I just want to wash your feet and ask for your forgiveness and let you know I want to rebuild this family, but I want to rebuild it on grace. And he said, as my dad was washing my feet, I said to myself, whatever power that exists that can change a man's heart like my dad's, I want to give my life to a power like that. He said, that's how, that's how he became a pastor. Could God use you? And your family to have something like that happen? See, listen, here's the thing, folks. 
the stakes are so high. The stakes are so high. We're talking about the kind of children we raise. We're talking about the kind of nation we give to people. We're talking about the kind of church we leave to others. We're talking about the legacy we leave in people's lives. And I think one of the enemy's greatest plans is to make you think your life will always be dominated by the effects of the curse. And I just want to remind you that's not true. The word from the cross for your life is that you can be forgiven, set free, have a spirit of adoption, grow into what God has for you, create generational blessing and not generational curses and break it all off. And I want to tell you, I have, we haven't got it all right in our home. We have so much work to do. But the greatest legacy of our life is not the church we've built in New York. It's not the stuff we've done. It's kids who say thank you for breaking the dysfunction. They see the forces. And each of our kids has sat us down and said, it wasn't perfect, but you've done so much more than you were given. Thank you. I believe that God wants you to leave a blessing behind instead of a curse to leave a legacy of blessing. This is how Jacob's life ends. He gets a new name, he becomes Israel. And his life ends with him leaning on a staff because he's got that limp. And how does it end? With him blessing the generations that come behind him. He's blessing his grandkids, declaring destiny, speaking a future over them that he personally will not see. So are there any places where you feel like you've been cursed and that's got the enemy has got a hold of your life. He's got access to a part of your life or your spirit and you're not walking in the joy and freedom of everything that God has for you. Or maybe you're here and God's telling you, hey, there's some work you need to do to make things right so blessing can be released through you. You never know the power of repentance. One day I'm in New York and I get a message on my phone from that youth leader who was coming through town. I don't even know how they got my number. But this is what it said. Hey, John, I just want you to know I've been watching you for several years. And I'm sorry about that, what I said. And I want you to know it is clear that God's hands on your life. And it's actually been one of the great joys of my life to see you prosper. And you haven't with it. And I just want to say I'm so proud of you. And here's the thing. They didn't have to do that. But you know what happened? In an, in an instant, God turned a wound which was painful into a scar that produced this talk that I think can bring healing to your life. The power of one youth leader with a kid in a youth group. Years later, just saying, hey, sorry about that. I bless you in its place. Did something in my spirit that set me free. And now you know what people say about my leadership? There's a kind of wild joy in your leadership. It's not a drive anymore. There's a sense of security and joy that's connected to it. And I only, I only say that to say, I wonder what you could release by saying sorry. I wonder what you could do in someone's life, how freedom and ministry in life could flow if we get that right ourselves. So I want to I close today by just inviting us to be honest before the Lord about the work that we need. Listen, you may sit in church for 30 years, sing all the songs, clap your hands, speak in tongues, whatever it is. And honestly, the thing that's dominating your life is some deep wound below the surface of all your religious activity. 
And this could be the day where God says, this is going to be a day of breakthrough for you. This can be a day of healing. This can be a new start for you. You can have a different family than the one you were raised in by releasing blessing. You can have a different marriage than the one you grew up in because you released blessing instead of the curse. And wouldn't it be an amazing thing if God would use your life everywhere you went to release blessing? What if your church was, are you guys the church that blesses people? Are you the blessing church? Is that you? The church needs a better reputation. Not one of moral failure, not one of weird doctrines. It needs one that you, when you show up, life shows up. When you show up, hope shows up. When you show up, blessing shows up. I think that's what God wants to do. So would you be willing to bow your head? And uh, can we just bring our hearts before the Lord? I know this is a heavy talk for a guest speaker to bring, but I think we're really at that point where if we don't get to the deep stuff that's happening in our lives and in our hearts, all we're going to do is just repeat these cycles. Listen, it's under stress that this manifests itself. And the last few years have really shown us what's in our hearts. And so if you're here today and you just got that sense in your heart that God is just saying to you that you, you are experiencing some sort of woundedness from something that's been spoken over you, would you just be willing to put your hands out in front of you? You're not, you're not doing this in front of me, but just to the Lord. Maybe there's something that's an exerting an influence in your life. And I, I think God wants to come and meet you this morning. So if that's you, I just want to pray for you right now. So would you just put your hands out in front of you and just say, Lord, please, I'm in vulnerability bringing this place of hurt, this wound, this curse to you. And I want to ask that you would bring healing. So Father, I just want to pray in the name of Jesus for these folks who have the courage to be honest with the things that are happening behind the scenes of their life. And Father, I just want to pray in the name of Jesus that you would take out that spirit of rejection. You would take out that spirit of fear or anxiety and you would replace it with a spirit of adoption. Father, I pray you would release the Abba cry in this room where people feel rising up within them. I am chosen. I am loved. I am wanted. I am adopted into the family of God. Father, I just pray you would pull that spirit of rejection out by the roots. And where there's been bitterness, where there's been insecurity, I just pray that there would be a voice that says confidence and hope and love. And Father, I just want to pray if there's uh, people who are wrestling with generational forces, and even now, Lord, you're highlighting in their minds how the same things keep happening. Father, I just want to pray that you would break this off. And so if you sense right now in your life that there's some kind of generational thing, I've got the wildest stories of generational curses in my family. I can't even share them because some of them you wouldn't believe. But I realized we had to break these off. One of the most significant moments in my marriage is standing in my kitchen with my wife, holding hands, getting ready to take communion and bringing the blood of Jesus to cover our story. And if you feel like there's something that's going through your family line and you just want to renounce it and break it off, I'd love to be able to pray with you right now. So if you sense that you is you, just pray this prayer with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just renounce right now any generational forces or spirits that are coming against my family. Any ground that I have seeded through sin, or disobedience or rebellion, I reject it right now. I repent of this, Lord. 
any things that have been done that I'm not even aware of, any family secrets, I just break these off in the name of Jesus. And I bring the blood of Jesus Christ as a covering over my home and over my life. And I just declare the righteousness of Jesus and the power of the cross to break these assignments and curses that have come against me. And in its place, I receive new covenant blessing, new life, new hope, new identity, new future, generational blessing in its place. And Father, I just wanna pray right now in Jesus' Name, Lord, if there's anybody who's experiencing church hurt and it's stopping them from fully engaging, Lord, wounds of a leader when they were younger, wounds from church splits, wounds from faders, whatever it is. And it's just making people guard their hearts rather than giving themselves away. Lord, we need people showing up with radical love, the overflow of your Spirit. So I just wanna pray in the Name of Jesus, you will break that spirit of church hurt off and replace it with joy, childlike faith, a spirit of wonder, a spirit of belief, on who Jesus is and what He has the power to do. So Father, we bring ourselves before You. We renounce anything that doesn't honour You or please You. We look to Jesus, we see the cross, we see His life, His resurrection, and we say by faith, we take the blessings that flow from what He has done on our behalf. And we pray this in the Name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.